It is possible to ease your way into it, but this has been a very accelerated process so far yeah. because I, you know, I finished the record and had it mastered in like April and started booking a tour early on, which, you know, usually these days you literally have to book tours like eight, ten months in advance. Yeah. And so this was already like pushing for September was already like a, a real push. And then. I've also been like just daily, like staying on top of things to actually try and get the record turned around so that I can have it out by the time we tour, which is also unheard of to flip it around in a, a matter of four months or something. This is the great irony of taking, you know, it's been what, seven years yeah. since your last record? Yeah. And then all of a sudden everything just time kind of collapses in on itself and you have to do everything at once. You weren't able to, you, you, you couldn't afford yourself the luxury of, waiting and I could have I didn't want to yeah. um I wanted you know I've been like sitting on this stuff for so long and working on it you know for so long I'm really anxious to get it out did you start soon after the last record I've been writing stuff that wound up on this record since before the last yeah. record and yeah I mean I've been I mean I've obviously done other a lot of other things in the interim between the last yeah, record under my own name in this, including like a whole other band with a whole other you know life yeah. cycle and uh, whatnot. But but all along, yeah, I've been working on on this stuff little by little. And then when the both touring cycle wound down, you know, two years ago or something, like that's when I really drilled down in earnest and started trying to finish this thing. Did that actually ease the pressure working on an album with someone else, having them kind of do about half of the heavy lifting? Hmm, that's tough to say. It's kind of a different stream. Yeah. Are you competitive? No, no. Because that's Amy a hard. Just generally as a songwriter. Oh no, God, no, 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 no. I'm not competitive. Uh, at least I don't think I am. I mean, <laughs> I, you'd have to ask some other yeah. people, I guess. But um, no, I don't think I'm competitive at all. Uh, you know, but I do have goals for myself. Certainly, mm -hmm. I wanted to be farther along with everything. You know, I mean, part of the reason that I was able to put so much energy into the both when we did it is because like some of the hurdles uh, deadlines that I that I'd set for myself for my own work mm -hmm. I'd already you know missed or had been shot down by the label or you know mm -hmm. just wasn't feeling like I was ready in terms of uh my home studio and whatnot what took so long it starts with the fact that we toured you know we toured a lot on the last record and and we're we're definitely a, a little burnt out by the end of it we were feeling a lot of diminishing returns at that yeah. point in time i think like 08 09 you had a couple of record labels collapse behind you yeah yeah and the 08 09 were really like that was when you i think even in the live context you just started feeling like everywhere we would go yeah crowds would start to be smaller and luckily we were hearing that it wasn't just us because at first you know you start feeling bad you know when promoters start to like yeah we didn't really do as well on ticket sales as we thought we would yeah and, but it also has it has a lot to do with how the last record happened and our relationship with matador and we were supposed to have the record out in europe and it wound up not coming out over there but we had our first tour on the record booked over there so we toured europe with like no support and no new record and and the booking agent dropped a lot of balls and it was just a disaster across the board and i took like a personal financial bath on it like it, it really knocked me out 
you know, for a while. And I have to suspect that being a professional indie rock musician, your margins are probably not super wide. That's right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My thing with Matador was at the time I was supposed to get a bigger budget for the second record, but, you know, because they were feeling the same pinch that everybody else was, they, they told me that they could only do it if I would accept a lower budget from the previous record, which I totally understood, um, but it was not the kind of money that would have allowed me to make or the record that I wanted to make in a studio. I could have made a down and dirty, you know, garage rocky punk record, which would have been fine. Probably would have been into that. It would have been fine, you know, but it wasn't what I wanted wanted to do. I had grander ideas about stuff. You know, we we had a mutual I got a mutual agreement with them that I would accept that deal if they would let me uh, put some of that money into a home studio and just sort of work on the record yeah. in, my, in my own time, which is what I started doing. You know, little by little, like finding the right mic that I want and could afford, and also using some of it to pay rent <laughs> here in New York. I don't know. I just like the energy that was sort of behind the whole project. The project being myself and my record and <laughs> I guess life. my life, you know, um, <laughs> was not really super supportive and there just wasn't a lot happening. And initially it was all very frustrating to me and I was getting very, you know, it was, I was getting into a very self-defeating yeah. uh, place. You know, I got to the point around like 2012 where I was just, uh, you know, booking solo shows every now and then, like just to make rent. And then the then Amy and I started our band and that was really fun. And it, it wound up being a, a real, I mean, I've, I've used this word a lot, but I, it's, there's not, it was just really reinvigorating like yeah. across the board, you know, you have to get out of your own head for a while. Yeah. Especially and it was, when it sounds like that, that sounds like a, a potential for a very claustrophobic experience of not only just being the person writing and producing your songs, but doing it all yourself. It can be. I mean, I, I really enjoy that like i enjoy going you know mad scientist in the in the lab mode yeah. so you know there's that but there's but i i try to be aware of the the the, the dangers of being too cloistered you know yeah. and, and turning out something that might be too like monolithic and and you know tested and weird you know do you bounce it off people during the a process a little bit a little bit but more i just like try and as you said just get out of my own head yeah. a little bit and just keep a, maintain a little bit of perspective on what i'm doing you know yeah but I think because the because the the project with Amy was just so low stakes in some ways, it was really just about the love of writing together and, mm-hmm. and and playing music together. That got me a little bit out of the doldrums of like, oh, woe is me, the industry is terrible. I'm in a bad relationship with my record label, and I can't, you know, like the piano guy on Sesame Street, like banging my head, <laughs> like I can't get these sounds right, you know, in my studio. And, uh, and it, I think it did loosen me up a, a little bit when I came back to yeah. really working on my own thing. And it, you know, it, it still took a, it took a lot of time also just because, you know, I was just working and writing and working and writing. And after, after a number of years had gone by the, the fact that I hadn't put anything out was you know it, it that actually became a freeing thing in a way too because I think people just stopped having expectations at a certain point you know you don't feel like that ups the stakes people thinking you're working on your Chinese democracy smile record somewhere in the background <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't feel like that and, and to be totally I mean to yeah. be totally honest with you like <laughs> I feel like my my presence had entirely shifted to where people just thought of me as 
comedy adjacent musical yeah. guest star. You well, you, you did Sharpling for a while and then that sort of transitioned you into the whole LA with Amy and, and Paul and everyone else. So yeah. You were, you did some kind of transition into Yeah, that. no, absolutely. It's, I mean, I love doing that stuff. Yeah. I, I really, I love, I love the variety show, you know. But thing. there was never any point when it felt like you didn't have a record in you or I mean I ha- we're, we're talking about I have I had by the time I actually finished all this I had like 30 songs yeah so it wasn't a question of like not having enough music it was not having the Did right pieces well there was some of that I mean yeah. if, for me from my side of things it was that like there were there were some pieces missing you know like I had a I had a deluge of, of songs <laughs> but there were some pieces missing and I like it didn't feel it still didn't feel like the record I yeah. needed to put out for myself, you know, um, until literally, you know, I think I finished the last song that I wrote that made it to the actual record that's coming out while like in, in like late March or something like that, mm-hmm. like while the Kickstarter was already happening. It sounds like you were defeated to some degree, but never to a point where you felt like it's not possible to make money off of music anymore. Maybe people don't want this. Like it was clear to you that an album was going to come out at some point. It was clear to me that an album was going to come out at some point, but I'm not going to say that I didn't think maybe people won't want this. I mean, I thought that up until my Kickstarter actually funded, you know, like, is is that a new feeling for you or is that kind of the feeling you get between every record? Well, from a lot of people, I get this sense of almost, you know, postpartum depression after it comes out. I don't know. That's a that's a that's a tough question. I I don't think I have that. I I think that I have always been just on the underdog side of the of the like you know indie tenure line, yeah. where like if you cross that line and you get You're a, a certain amount of tenure, you know, then like whatever you do, you know, you have an audience that's always going to be there, you know, for you and yeah. for it. And I don't. You know, well, I know that I have that I have some audience that that is there for me and has been. I don't really felt. I don't think I've ever felt secure enough in that to. There's okay. Stay with me here for a second because <laughs> this it, it's it's kind of nuanced, but like, I don't think I I I really have ever thought too much about like are people going to want this? And I think that's because I've never really felt like I've had the luxury of assuming that people want. Hmm. wanted it and therefore you know oh, i have to be worried that they're not going to you know i feel like at, I've your, always... at your highest heights when you know it, uh, whoa, the, the first uh, lookout or third the lookout record yeah okay. shake the sheets. but still it was all baby steps that like led you know like it was literally yeah. like i mean we were literally like playing clubs that held like 50 more people each time you know and it was just like these little baby steps that led up to to those couple of you know big years where we actually played festivals and stuff but i never felt like I didn't have something to prove within the world that we were operating. And therefore, you know, like, while there was always a sense of, like, I hope people like this, there was never, do people want this anymore kind of thing. This time I think I felt that, but I think it was only because I, I had, it had just been so long. You yeah. Know, and I'd fallen out of the the rhythms, uh, you know, the cycles and the rhythms of it all that I wondered if people thought of me as anything but, you know, <laughs> music comedy guest star, you know. Funny guy on Twitter. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's less about, like, how the album is going to be received, because I still don't know how it's going to be received. My main job has always been in, in tech, and, and I've followed a lot of companies, and the thing that I think slowly started dunning on people through Kickstarter was that it's not just a way to 
fund your project. It's a way to actually gauge interest mm. and you know maybe get feedback. I don't know if that had any impact on the actual creation of the album itself. I mean, I, mean, I, I think it did. I think it did yeah. because I still had I still had some work to do. Those missing pieces that I was talking about, like they came together for the most part. What, what does missing pieces mean? It means that I knew that I still had to write a couple of songs that either like thematically either said something yeah. or had a musical direction that um would complete the the picture of what what i you know the, of the album but you don't know what that picture looks like or i didn't know what that picture looked like i just knew that something else it needed to go into like it album. yeah exactly yeah. i found all those pieces after the kickstarter funded was it a personal album from the beginning and was it more so than past records eh, yeah probably a little bit i mean you know, there has to be the narrative about like, oh, it's a, it's a deeply personal. Well, record, sure, you know, but, but I mean, given yeah things that have transpired, this is definitely yeah. more so than anything you put out. I mean, I've you know, here's the here's the here's what I'll say to that is that it is, but it's just because of like of what my life has been like since yeah. the last record. You know, if my life had been what it's been for the last decade during the previous decade, those other records would have probably been a lot different, you know? This is sort of like the um, the sophomore record thing that a lot of bands run into is, you know, you have all the time to put out the first one and then the second one, invariably, with a lot of bands, it's about touring mm-hmm. and it's about oh, playing God. shows. Oh. And you, you know, and it's can, maybe can it's I, unavoidable. Can I tell you, can I interrupt yeah. you just sure. for a second? I'm so glad you brought that up because <laughs> that has been such a pet peeve of mine yeah. forever. Like, I won't name any names, but I remember as long ago as like... I don't know, 1989 or something. There was a New York hardcore band that wrote their like growing up, you know, kind of seven inch. And you're, I, you're really narrowing the scope. I mean, yeah. it's not going to be probably too hard. To... <laughs> and I, and um, okay, fine. It was bold. It was back on bold. <laughs> and I actually really liked the record, yeah. but like, you know, there it was like, oh, everyone in the scenes growing up, and now we're like, you know, yeah. trying looking back on what was really just like a period of a couple of years in everybody's teenage lives and I was and there's literally a line that's like no one knows the feelings that I'm learning how to bear or whatever and I was like man we all know those feelings like we're all going through it and then you get into later when there's like all these things about touring and how hard it is and playing to 15 It's also like not every every hardcore band can become shelter you know (laughs) yeah that's right you have to dig deep for those feelings that's true yeah anyway we all tour. We all go yeah. through it. It became personal because you were, it sounds like more so than usual, kind of living a life outside of music. Yeah. Well, you, life inserted itself. <laughs> you know, bad things happen sometimes and yeah. you, you just have to deal with them. You're not in the city anymore. That was financial. I think we all kind it of It was largely financial. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, I, I will say it's it's tough to complain because this place that we have in Rhode Island, we've been working on for a while. So we, and it's just like so cheap that, for a while, we were able to actually have both places, yeah. and so living the living the dream for a few years, I got to do you know. So, and I you know I now have a I now have a working home studio that I can you know, and it's beautiful, and there's really nothing to complain about. It's just that I it's just that this is my yeah. home, you know, and I that's part of what gets you out of it, though. I mean, there is. I mean, it's a cliche, but it's cliche for a reason. New York is very claustrophobic. I mean, I'm sure that I'm probably paying as much for this apartment as, as you are for your house. I guarantee you're paying more. <laughs> it's guarantee probably, it. Yeah. It's probably fair, but, you know, and and this is actually a pretty, like, decent-sized apartment for, for Queens, but yeah. it it is it is really claustrophobic. I, I've been in this city for, I think, like 13, 14 years at this point, 
And I, I don't know anybody, including people who are born here, who don't romanticize about moving away every yeah. so often. You yeah. know, you go and, and, and as somebody who has been on tour as much as you have, you know, do you entertain those ideas when you go to other cities? About living in other places? Yeah. In other cities? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember, you know, I, I also, I moved away and, and I, I purposely stayed away from New York for a long time yeah. when I first started playing in bands because it was, it was easier for me to do uh, and live more cheaply in other places. And also because I think I had a little bit of like, oh, everybody's trying to make it in New York, you know, like I'm, I'm not going to, I don't want to be part yeah. of that rat race, you know? And it's, it's really hard to make it in New I York. I know, I know. And I, you know, I, I saw it affecting people's lives and people's yeah. art, frankly. And, you know, like I was just like, I'm going to live in DC for a while. Like, yeah. you know, I'm going to live in Boston for a little while. But I remember, you know, like touring in the 90s and, you know, getting to places I hadn't been before and landing somewhere like, I, I specifically remember in, I don't know, 93 or something like going to going to Knoxville, Tennessee and playing the show and staying with these people in this gigantic like 20 room Victorian yeah. house that like they paid literally like $80 a month for or something and I was like I should just live like why do I not live in Knoxville you know? I'm from California originally yeah. And I went to school in Santa Cruz, and you know I've been back a couple of times. I'm sure you spent a little bit of time there on tour, mm-hmm. yeah. Maybe played the Catalyst. Yes, yeah, yeah. You forget about it. You go there. You realize, oh, it gets dark at night here, and there's nature, and there's just this sense of. Do you, Do you ever meditate at all? I've been thinking that I should. Okay. I have tried in the Let's past. Let's get into and, this and, in a second. Yeah. But um, there's this thing that happens when you first start doing it. You know, if you if you do a guided meditation and they go through your breathing and all the different body parts, and then the person tells you to start unclenching things and you don't realize mm. until you pay attention, you don't realize that your your jaw has clenched, you don't realize right. that, that your back is clenched, and that's what I compare. You know, getting out of New York or getting out of a big city to is kind of unclenching that muscle. Yeah, that and makes realizing sense. that just not not hustling to get everywhere all the time isn't necessarily doing yourself a disservice. I think you're right. Yeah. I think you're absolutely right, and and um, you know, I I I one thing I think about all the time when I so I you know um, I used to really love walking everywhere and or taking the subway. I'm yeah. I'm a fan of public transportation yeah, and walking. walking. It's true, <laughs> and I you know one of my favorite things to do if I had something to do in Manhattan was to was to walk over the Manhattan Bridge because yeah. I live down there, been into the city, but. Every time I start to romanticize it, I have to remind myself that, like, when that fucking D train comes by, just like, yeah, like screaming metal, you know, or you get a whiff of of that smell, that New York City smell. Exactly. And it's like, you know what? That's a a grind I don't need. I talked to somebody about this recently, somebody who had been in the city for a playwright, actually, who'd been in the city for longer than I have. And, and he talked about getting back into the habit of walking, and that's mm-hmm. something that I've been doing over the past couple of years. It's something that you forget to do, especially I, I've got a nine-to-five day job, and then mm-hmm. I, I get on the train and then you know go home or go to a specific destination. And it's an easy way to fall back in love with the city. Mm, to, I agree. To yeah. just sort of take it in. And that's yeah. I think that's part of the whole New York city thing of feeling like you always have to be somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's true as opposed to just walking around. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What, what, uh, what brought you to Providence? 
Well, I actually live um, or, about a half hour south of there. Uh, the, well, uh, my wife um, is from there, and okay. she bought this place that we now live going on 20 years ago. Um, she bought it 20 years ago? Yeah, for money that <laughs> at the time I was like, like I was living in Boston. I was going to, like I didn't have a bank account. I was going to check cashing places, you know, and when she told me she'd seen this place and was thinking about buying it, I was just like, are you out of your mind? <laughs> I don't even understand that number. Yeah. Let alone you want to tie yourself down to a piece of property. Oh, you're a punk rock guy. Yes, yeah. Did the idea of suburban living 20 years ago, did that rub you the wrong way? It wasn't about the suburbs or anything. It's even like <laughs> back then this this area was like more rural than, than suburban. But um, it was, you know, it was, it was, yeah, it was, it was, you know what it was? It was dumb. It was young, dumb, and full of naivete. Yeah. And well, um, last one doesn't rhyme. But. Right. <laughs> um, and you know the truth is she's uh, like punker than me yeah. in so many ways, and she had this whole like vision for a you know community art space, and and uh, and it was this dilapidated old meeting hall for the Grangers. I now, I mean, I'm not going to say is the number. Grange. It's an old Grange hall. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'm not going to say the number, but I now I very. It didn't take me too long to realize that basically she got like the last good deal. In the Northeast, you know, on, yeah. on any piece of property anywhere, and um, and it's enabled us to work on it, you know, little by little. And that was part, another thing was just like, you know, we now had the sort of gumption to do a final push of work on the place, which we've been doing for the last year, you know, while I've also been finishing this record, and and uh, it's probably for the best. Though. I mean, you need to have something in your life that gets you out of that headspace. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I had a had Sean Nelson on on the show a while mm-hmm. ago, and and we were talking about the height of Harvey Danger, and he told me about the time that they performed on Letterman, and this was this was in response to a question of you know basically like what did you what do you regret the most that you did at the height, and he said the thing that I regret the most is when we played Letterman, and Paul Schaefer offered to play with us and have the band play with us. And we didn't do it because it felt like it wasn't punk enough. Right. Is there something that you can point to like in hindsight that, you know, because of that ethos that you had at the time that you maybe turned down or didn't do because it wasn't, it wasn't punk enough. Hmm. I mean, I can, uh, there are some things that I can look at and, and question, but forgive me if this sounds a little self aggrandizing, but I think I've made pretty good decisions, yeah. and I feel I feel like I can back. I'm still behind most of them, you know. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, like, I'll say this: like, I think I I continue to hone my craft, and I think I be, I continue to become a better songwriter. So there are songs that I've written that I look back sure. on, and I'm like, I yeah. might not phrase that exactly. Or, you know, like, and they're ones that got out into the world, yeah, yeah, and absolutely. that you have to play from time to time. Yep, mm-hmm. um, that I, you know, that I, I would love to uh, <laughs> know what I know now. But I mean, um, you were how old were you when Chisel was around? Uh, nineteen so, to to twenty seven. I'm so glad that when I was writing and uh, yeah. at nineteen, even, the internet didn't exist the oh way my it does God, now. I know, that, I know that they're not out there. But your stuff yeah. is uh, your stuff's kind of in amber. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, God. The, but I mean, it's connected with people. It, it did. Sure, it did yeah. what you were trying to do. It did. No, it absolutely did. And 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 again, like I don't I don't look back and actually, I you know question yeah 
my certainly not my intention with any of it. Um, I think you know I <laughs> again like the the first thing that popped to mind when you asked me this question is something that I think my approach to it was dumb, but I think that the for the final result was ultimately yeah. I, I stand behind, and it it was just something real simple where this short-lived band that I was in called the Sin Eaters, um, sort of between Chisel and, and uh, when I really started, you know, so you gotta, you hitting it solo a, a lot. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. true. Actually, a couple of those songs transitioned into, yeah. into the But you actually have one songs. about yeah, the about, band. Yes, yeah. That's right. We did a European tour, and we played in London, and this guy from Rough Trade came up to me after the show, and he was like, uh, you know, I really, I'd love to talk to you guys about doing a record or something. And I was like, you guys owned by a major now and he was like yeah and i was like there it is nope there it See is ya. you know and i was a dick about it i was yeah. really like yeah no thanks pal yeah. you know <laughs> like really unnecessarily rough curt, trade of know? all of the labels I to know, be angry i about. know i know that first record that you put out as the pharmacists the solo one or the tyranny of distance the solo. i guess it was solo right. before that but there was a definite transition i mean it, it sounded like for a while there you were trying to kind of do something completely different you definitely went in more of a pop direction yeah yeah i was i was um i guess there's even in the tyranny of distance there's a few ones that are kind of yeah toward the end of of chisel i had been really getting back into very ag- aggressive political punk and, yep. and 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 noise projects and stuff and um i was bringing some of that i think into the later Chisel stuff, but still very much within a within a you know pop song structure. But yeah, I gave a little more f- free vent to that in in the first couple of uh, pharmacist releases or the solo one that I called pharmacist. Still, but, yeah. is it that sort of thing about water returning to its level? Where like after that, you just you, you're be. just more playing kind of. I don't want to use the term pop punk, but it's not entirely inaccurate is i mean is that just more of what you're naturally inclined to i think in a way i mean i i have to reject the term pop punk sure. because of what it because it now it, it's now an actual genre that yeah. you know is it I, you know which i have like, i'm saying this is somebody from the east bay who grew up yeah. like look at records taking that punk backgrounds yes. and making something but a little more me, accessible but for me it's it's not it, for me it's not it was never the song, the songwriting that I was referencing, or the things that I thought we we sounded like, like if it ever crosses over into sounding like Jawbreaker or Green Day or you know any, yeah. anything like that, for me it was always coming from a different place, which was like Nicklo, the Clash, the Jam, and the, like you know antecedents yeah. that were that existed, um, you know the stuff that I grew up on really, yeah. and and also. The kind of like, I mean, again, going with the jam and, and, and even a lot of Clash stuff, but like that kind of like R&B influenced mm-hmm. um, melodic punk stuff that I would even put like early, you know, electric Billy Bragg into, you know, and stuff like that. Yeah, um, or a lot, even a lot of the ska stuff at the time. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's true, too. But but again, not like second wave ska stuff, you know. Yeah. Not like uh, uh, ska from Florida. You know, oh, in that's, the 90s, that's you know. Three. Second, second, three. Second all right, sorry, yeah, second. Yeah, yeah, specials and yeah. all that stuff, yeah. But, um, I mean, a lot of that was just Florida really... Florida uh, Orange County Scott, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and I mean, I don't, I don't I, like, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't mean, also, like, I don't mean to push back. Um, no. In, in it for any reason other than, than um, you know, I don't think I really have very much in common. I mean, like, Jawbreaker is a 
probably a pretty good example of this of, of, of taking similar starting places and maybe ending up somewhere slightly similar. Possibly. Maybe yeah. not, maybe not being like a part of a, a scene. Yeah. 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 I definitely don't think we were part of yeah. any scene. That's for sure. Um, the political stuff that brought you back, I mean, you're shake the sheets is a political album. Mm, yeah. And this is to some degree, I mean, I always, I never yeah. was not, I never yeah. don't write about politics. some of some of them though are definitely a little bit more out front. Shake the sheets is probably the the, yeah. the clearest one. I mean, I want, you yeah, you call some sure names out on yeah, that that's one. True. Yeah. <laughs> um, how big of an influence was that for this last one for actually kind of getting out there and, and recording music again? Did you uh, feel like you needed to do something? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, I yeah, I did. Um, I did. You know, I. I I very rarely, if ever, I'm only qualifying it because I'm sure I probably have at some point, but I couldn't tell you exactly when. But I very rarely like tell myself, "Okay, you have to write a political song now," yeah. you know, or "You have to write a love song now." It's, I, it's just, you know, it, it's just the jumble of what I'm thinking about. So it all comes comes out, including politics and love and everything else. You know, for, for this last election, I, I think. It- told this on on the podcast a couple times but i was i was at a bar in brooklyn when the returns were coming in and then you know there was that point when it was clear that it was just going one way Mm -hmm. and you know sitting there feeling sorry for myself and i got a a text from my sister who has a a a very bad medical condition that she's had for a number of years and you know she said i i don't know i don't know if i'm gonna have health care anymore when this happens and then that was that was a moment that I realized that, like, yeah, this is probably not going to affect me immediately, but there are a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it goes beyond healthcare and, you know, uh, immigrants, all of these different people who will, who will impact immediately. And the the first thing that I thought about at the time was, you know, what what is it that I can do or do I have a platform? And I've tried to do that a little bit in my own work. But I mean, surely when something like that goes down, when it's clear that things are really fucking fucked up, mm-hmm. that you do have a platform. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, no, that's that's true. And and I'll tell you, you know, when you put it that way, it, it does make me think of um, one of the moments that that really crystallized for me was during the 2008 election season yep. after the violence at the RNC that year. It all feels so quaint now, doesn't it? Oh my God, I know. Just you know, just thinking about exactly that question, like what can I do? And going back to one of your first, one of the first things we were talking about about you know having a having a bit of a ten, of tenure with an audience, you yeah. Know, clearing some of the cobwebs about that out of my mind and just saying like, no, you know what? I we do have an audience. I know we have an audience, and I know that if I put something up online some people are going to buy it. And so we quickly put together this four song digital EP that was a benefit for democracy now. And, um, this, uh, legal fund that was helping the people who were arrested at the RNC. And it was, you know, it was a reminder that, um, well, first of all, you know, money is important and it's, and people need money. It's something that, that, Something you've learned the hard way over and over again. Yeah, exactly. And my ability to raise money is a real thing that, you know, I can keep doing. I mean, I did it last night. That's what the strummer thing was Mm -hmm. for, you know. And uh, that's, you know, that's a a power of a kind. It's some some effectiveness that 
that I feel lucky to know that I have. It's an interesting answer, you know, because this is, I'm sure, the question that you have gotten asked all the time, particularly in the wake of having released something a little more overtly political is how much of a difference can you make? And are you preaching the choir? And, you know, if you're singing about how bad George Bush is or Donald Trump is, is it actually possible to affect change? I mean, yeah. you, in this instance, you've, you've identified a tangible way in which you can actually do that. It's one way, but there's, but I think there are a number of other ways. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I've never ever been under the illusion that anything that I write is going to get to the ears of George Bush or Donald Trump and make them change their minds. About oh man, anything, I can't know? believe yeah. <laughs> this guy's right. <laughs> I heard this great. I'm like, you just step down immediately. Yeah. yeah, but as far as pre- preaching to the choir goes, like I, I reject that as a criticism. First of all, you know I've learned things from music. Like I've been yeah. challenged to think about things, or been invited to think, been cheerily led to think about things. You know, um, or, or you mentioned like Billy Bragg is a good example of yeah. somebody who like there are. <laughs> Did not know a lot about Margaret Thatcher. <laughs> sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, w- I would, you know, like, let's, I'll say right now that in the 80s, you know, growing up in the 70s and, and 80s, um, the idea that, you know, the pendulum, it's interesting in this moment of democratic socialism sort of being a legitimate thing that people are talking about a lot. I mean, at that, least it felt like it during the primaries. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That was, you know, that was anathema, like, until yeah. after the Soviet Union fell, basically. Yeah. You know, I, I remember first encountering democratic socialist people in college in, like, late, in, like, 92 or 93. You know, like, it, it I, I know that, that, that they existed, but it wasn't, I mean, even in the punk world, like, there were very few people who were actually talking about socialism and communism hmm. back then. And... I certainly, I mean, Billy Bragg specifically is somebody who did and who got me thinking about like, oh, yeah, you know, unions pounded into your head how bad they are. Unions, not bad. (laughs) The thing that has dawned on me during this presidency that hadn't before is exactly how arbitrary everything is. I mean, the Russia thing, you talk about the fall of communism and the idea that the, that the Republicans are now allying themselves with Russians. I mean, it, well, which is like a hyper capitalist you know, society at this point. Like it's an all. Yeah, but I mean, it's know. just something that was the yeah, unheard of, and you realize right. like yeah. how completely arbitrary it can I be. I know, I know, it's true. Yeah, we all learn things from yeah. music, and it, there's also a value, I think, to community reinforcement and community catharsis that goes against the preaching of the choir thing. You know, did you ever feel like you didn't necessarily have the authority to do that, or you didn't necessarily know about something to actually pen a song or an album about it? No, I don't think I. I don't think I. I think I'm. I mean, I don't think. Yeah. I'm, I don't think I um, have enough uh, hubris to write about something that I don't at least think I have a handle on, yeah. you know, now again, like I will let history be the judge of that. Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, you did, uh, again, you did write a lot of music when you were 19. Yes, that's true. That's absolutely true. Um, but also as far as authority, just to speak on things go again, in, in terms of like, I always did kind of see it more as like community reinforcement or, yeah. you know, not, um, not me preaching at all, let alone yeah. preaching to the choir, you know, me, Speaking for myself, but hopefully, you know, uh, voicing things that are somewhat universal to, yeah. uh, you know, at least this immediate group of people or, you know, 
have some degree of overlap that makes it, I don't know, worth singing and worth hearing, you know? You invariably get some feedback and probably, you know, more so now that the social media is the force that it is, people telling you that they don't want you to be political. Nope. No? Never? You nope. never get that? I, I don't get it anymore. Um, I, I did used to get it. No, you know, it's interesting. I mean, I, I think that as recently as the Living with the Living album, like 06, yep. 07, I was getting emails from people that were like, bloop, bloop, you know, whatever, like, hey, let's keep the politics yeah, out exactly. of it. Or, you know, yeah. I used to blog a lot back then, and I blogged about political things. I would get pushback just on my blog, too. Like, you know, be like, Look, I came here for tour dates, not you know, yeah. your thoughts on yeah. Al Gore or whatever, you know. But I don't. I really. I mean, I'm knock on wood when I say this, but I yeah. really rarely get that, if at all. I mean, I can't tell you when the last time that happened is. I don't know if I just drove people away. At certain I mean, I think a lot where, of. I think know. a lot of it is, and and you've experienced this as much as anybody is the way that things are shaking out with the music industry, especially now that mm-hmm. you're self-supporting through Kickstarter that the people who are finding your music are oftentimes the people who are seeking it out. It's not something that like people are going to necessarily stumble upon the same way. I think that's true. And I think that also for better or for worse, and I would take this one for better, um, you know, I do get pegged as political singer songwriter, you know? So it's like, it's kind of, you know, if anybody's talking to anybody about me, that phrase is usually in there somewhere. So, you know, that probably it sets it up in such a way that people aren't surprised have you mellowed out you know time and kind of in a sense settling down i mean you are leading a suburban life no no nope i have not at all yeah um and suburban life uh, again also like that that doesn't really you know like sure i don't have kids i don't yeah participate in you know i i still my concerns are still the you feel like in in spite of the change of geography that your life hasn't really change that much ultimately yeah no i don't think it's i mean i'm still you know i still do the same work and i still tour all i'm sure the the internet has enabled that in a way that yeah the internet keeps me connected and um i'm not you know um rhode island's interesting it's a progressive little place actually yeah i say this with the authority of knowing what what they're like though i grew up you know, in the urban part of New Jersey, I know what New Jersey suburbs are like, and it doesn't feel like that. You know, I was <laughs> like, gonna, say, I was just, gonna say it's like maybe like Boston without the racism. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, it's like <laughs> if it, you know, it, it just feels like small New Englandy. Yeah, you know, um, and you know, my wife still teaches it down here um, once a week, and you know, we're always bouncing around. Yeah, and, she's at SVA, right? Yeah, there must be a, an element of catharsis in that, in in sing, you know, watching the news. And feeling like, I mean, the, the two the two impulses, and they often lead to the same place, are what can I do, and like, you know, how can I how can I basically exercise this for my soul? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've tried to jump. I've tried to really jump in on saying yes to anything that that I can that that will that will help in, in some way. You know, in terms of what? In terms of doing benefits or yeah. lending my name to something yeah. or or signal boosting things. You know, like. I've also like if there's anything I've mellowed on, it's inserting my opinion <laughs> into uh, conversations because not not in my songs, but you know, like on social media, for example, like you know, the discourse is just ridiculous, yeah. and and I think that there are a lot of voices that need amplifying, and I've come to realize that they don't need my extra thought on it. You know, like I do, a, I retweet a lot of things 
I discussed this recently with somebody on, mm-hmm. on the show, and, and I think a lot of it is realizing when you're trying to be an ally to certain groups, yeah, that sometimes it's just better to listen. A hundred percent. I agree. One hundred percent. Yeah. One hundred percent. And it's and it's and it's gotten to the point now where uh, it's started. It's really started to uh, God. I mean, it's just better to learn, you yeah. know, like it's just it's better. Yeah, it's better to just shut up and learn <laughs> in terms of trying not to be a asshole. We you, and when I say we, I mean, you and I started a disadvantage. Mm hmm. So straight, we're straight white dudes. That's right. Yeah. Getting back to like the technology that I write about, uh, there's a piece that came out recently about artificial intelligence, and the thing that they're running into right now is that it's impossible to not, even accidentally or or you know subconsciously, inject AI with with our bias. Interesting. I feel like I heard something about yeah. this. Yeah. Regardless of how progressive and open you try to be, two things you're bringing a point of view and mm-hmm. you bring a certain amount of experience and you bring certain blinders too. Yeah. Like, did you see that, that thing that was going around about this, the automated soap dispenser that, yeah. that would not release soap to a dark hand. Yeah. He put a piece of white paper yeah. on and it, because you know, somebody yeah. just didn't think all the steps yeah. through. This is what's really interesting about, you know, living with someone who has been doing user experience design for 25 years, you know, is, is, um, you know, understanding like, how many steps you really have to think through, yeah. you know, to really attempt to accommodate the, the broad swath of what people bring to the to the table in any given situation. You know? in, in terms of putting your own point of view on something, especially when you're discussing something sort of broader and more politically, how do you take into account those external points of view when you're writing a piece of music or releasing it? Mm. Are, you, are you bouncing it off of people? Uh, sometimes if I have a question, I am. Yeah. Um, yeah, sure. I mean, I also, you know, again, like I, it's hard to talk about, it's actually, I mean, it's hard to talk about this stuff without sounding a little, you know, your, your own horn to yeah. you know, um, so podcasts, like, but these are all about, right. <laughs> <laughs> true. But I just like, I really like to learn. Like I yeah. just, I, you know, one of the crazy things to me about, about all of the doubling down on on you know so many of the half ideologies that like you know we're pushing back against is learning is better and getting better is better being better is better you don't lose something by you know learning how to accommodate some something else you know and i've always noted this about you you know i started the first time you entered my radar was the hearts of oak album Uh when i was in a dj in, in college and often had women in the bands and, mm-hmm. and you did the songwriting with Amy and I it seems like that probably to some degree that must be from design by design is trying to have somebody who isn't exactly like you in the band you know it's true it is I mean I it's never been this is gets a little horn 2d again yeah. but like it's never been a problem for me it stood out to me because you i'm know, glad we had yeah. a, we had the uh, hearts of oak poster mm-hmm. in the uh, air room we worked at kzsc in santa cruz and it was like oh there's all of these indie rock people and like oh there's a lady in this band yeah. like n- very few of these, these other bands that aren't explicitly female bands have one i'm really really glad to hear you say that that actually really means a lot to me because it 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 is important to me like representation is important yep. and i haven't always you know been able i haven't always i haven't always been conscious of 
what I'm doing in that regard and and therefore sometimes have failed, I'm sure, you know. I'll say that like it's more it's actually kind of more important to me now than ever to like, I think that it's just like I can't you know, I just I don't want to um I don't want to just just um be another white what dude in a bunch of white dudes, you know. What did working with Amy so closely teach you? Uh, well, a lot about yeah. about tightening up my songwriting. I'll yeah. tell you that. Um, yeah, she's been doing she's been doing it for a while. Yeah. yeah. Well, she also is very strict about things in a good way, <laughs> like in a, really in a good way. Yeah. Like I, I mean, you know, what's cool about her strictness about certain things is that it taught me a lot about what I can do, things that I don't have to settle for because I can actually do it better. You know? Did you feel like you were settling before? I think I would let things go because yeah. like it seemed fine or I was happy with yeah. it. And then she, you know, she would challenge me on something and I would go, Oh, you know what? You're right. Like there's a better solution. Our whole process was also just about this, like being better thing. You know, it was, and, and once I felt, once I settled in and felt comfortable working with, with her this way, we were constantly pick, challenging each other, you know, not, not in any kind of, you know, picking apart way or negative way, but just like, I'm not like I might need you to like you know I need you to explain this to me because I'm not quite getting it or I see what you're doing is there a way we can do it better and rather than taking that personally you know treating every song like a puzzle that we're yeah. really just trying to find the best solution for you know but the flip side of that is being able to let things go I mean you know I talked to uh I had a John Vanderslice on the show uh-huh. and you know he runs a great studio and yeah. his biggest complaint about pro tools and digital recording is less about the sound because, like, let's be honest, like the sound's pretty good now. Yeah. But is the you don't have to commit to anything. Well, yeah, it makes and and even beyond that, it makes you such perfectionist. You know, he's talking mm. about sitting there and and you know getting the perfect like kick drum sound for right. hours and hours, and and you know maybe kind of losing some of the 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 raw or yeah. the mistakes Weird or even magic. just like the, the yeah the feeling out mm-hmm. of it. So. The flip side of being a perfectionist is, and I'm sure that you probably ran into it with this record ex- yeah. explicitly when you were kind of mad scientisting it away, is figuring out how and when to actually let it go and let it out into the world. You're right, and it's it's definitely a struggle, and that's why you know that's why I say that Amy's strict yeah. and not a not a perfectionist, you okay. know, because like okay. there were also times when we were both like you know when we would both be sort of stuck on something and eventually have to say like. You know what? I can live with it. Like let's <laughs> let's let that go. Yeah, I need to get some sleep tonight. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and with making the record, I could not even begin to to calculate the hours that I put in on all of these songs. And when I say the record, I mean there's this record that's 14 songs, but I actually recorded and mixed and mastered like all of the rest of them too. So I have a whole <laughs> backlog of stuff that's waiting to also come out. And do you feel like it's all on par? Yeah. Yeah. Uh huh. Um, and a lot of this was what is it that they say like you have to put in like ten thousand hours or yeah, something? Yeah, Malcolm Gladwell. Yeah, thing. yeah. I mean, a lot of this was was I see it in retrospect, but I think I saw it at the time. I think I had enough perspective to see it at the time as putting in my ten thousand hours. Yeah. Um, because you, you put in a lot more than ten thousand hours, Ted. <laughs> no, but just on this project, okay. I mean, I don't think that's a Malcolm Gladwell thing. I don't think it's you right. need to put ten thousand hours right. in every project. Well, no, but it, I mean, in terms of of, yeah. of learning the ropes of really engineering and recording, you know, and mixing okay. something on my own. And that own. was kind of that was new for you. Uh, yeah, I'd always been involved in the process, yeah. but always in someone else's studio, you know. And and this, I really like from the ground up, 
like built my own scenario. And, was that by design? I mean, to some yeah. degree, it was because you didn't have a record label. Well, no, this was while I was still had matter. Okay. Well, I was still matter because this was what, what I was saying about the budget. Oh, about earlier, them funding, that, yeah, yeah, like yeah. you know, and I, I'd always enjoyed tinkering and tweaking, and I, I had, you know, I'd released stuff for sort of like minor releases that I'd recorded yeah. before, either on four track or like GarageBand or something, you know. Um, but I really, really learned it like for real this time around over the course of a number of years, and I, I did, I, you know, I know, <laughs> I know enough people who have gone down the rabbit hole and never come out. <laughs> I had their example yeah. always like hovering above me to let me know, you know, that like even as I'm tweaking something for the like forty seventh mix, I know that when it comes time to let this go, I can let it go. I'm gonna keep tweaking. Did you set yourself a deadline? Not really, no. I, I did I did eventually once yeah. I um so I, I played Everything on the record except the saxophone and and a lot of the drums, which my usual drummer Chris came up and, and he played on like nine of the fourteen yeah. songs. Uh, once I had him tracked, then I knew that like this was truly on its way to becoming a finished thing and something um, real. Yeah, exactly. And I didn't have a specific deadline. I, I though I I had originally wanted to get this record out about a year ago. Like I said, like I, I knew I just needed to. I knew that it wasn't ready yet a year ago i knew it wasn't ready yet mm. but i knew i was close it was those missing pieces a couple of missing pieces and a couple of like still figuring out yeah. some mixing things you know still working on the the drum sound and and uh and whatnot and also doing doing some revisions too because here here's getting getting back into the like regrets question <laughs> because this had been such a long process there are songs there were songs that were like years old at this yeah. point that having gone through so much both in my life and in like songwriting growth and, and learning and stuff you know i had to go back and say like i gotta break this one up and put it back together again you know like i have to I have like to... i'm a i'm kind of a different person than i was when i set out to do this yeah and either like i could i could fix this and just like say yeah. some things better or like i have to kind of keep the scaffolding but like really rebuild the rest of it because not, not only is it again in that idea of it being sort of an amber but also having to tour on it and play it night in and yeah night out that's so right you want it to be yeah and i mean you know that's a thing that's another thing where it's like what are you going to just continually revise we all change and grow all the time but you know i i did i, I again like i looked at it as just like at a certain point i was actually lucky that i had this chance to to do that i mean i don't know i'm talking about this as if i had a complete vision of the through line to right now which i i didn't but but i but maybe but i think i, I think maybe i did because i don't feel like i ever lost perspective on what i was doing though i knew how much i was like mad scientisting a lot of it yeah. you know brian wilsoning it yeah yeah <laughs> i i i think if i'd have found that it it just kept going on and on and i was not satisfied i think rather than continue to tweak it i probably would have just trashed it you know um i probably would have trashed it all and just either started over again or changed my life entirely have you done anything like that on that level no i haven't no. but but i think i think i'm i think i would rather do that than fall down that that rabbit hole and never come out and i think i was always 
I did have enough self-awareness to stay out of the rabbit hole. You said that you feel like people's expectations might have been lower because it's been so long. But at the same time, I suspect that internally, because it's been so long since you put out a record under your name, that there's definitely a bar that you need to live up to. For myself, yeah, yeah. you're right, you're right. and Yeah, I think you're right about that. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, it goes back to the two... Yeah, one, once I took on the, the mantle of making this record myself at home, yeah, it had to be something that I was truly happy with, you know. Yep. And, and I mean again, like that could have taken any number of forms, but but I I didn't I knew the direction that my songwriting was going in. I knew that I didn't I knew that I wanted to make a, a, a yeah. more lush and um full sounding record. Um that was more evocative sonically of that era of stuff that we were talking about yeah. earlier, you know. Um, yeah. You know, I just just kept working toward that. I feel like you you might have kind of backed away from the suggestion that this is somehow more personal, but was that part of the vision of actually because you lived the life that you did, and as as right. I think you've said in other interviews, like as much life as you did, that you needed to deal with those things on record yeah no i i don't think so i mean i only back away from it because when when it gets put that way it makes it seem like that was a choice you know yeah. like this is you know i'm, I'm i decided to make a personal statement or My something professional bedroom yeah record. exactly yeah. and 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 that's not the case you know yeah. it just you know i write about what what i whatever i write about and the, the thing that came up with the with the interview and, mm -hmm. and which unfortunately you're gonna have to like live more times as people ask you questions about it right. because again the narrative is it being uh, of it is being personal you know the, the miscarriage yeah. is something that comes up and that you dealt with on the record it, it does there have to be a distance between you and the event happening or when something like that happens in your life do you feel like you need to deal with it in music um, first of all, I just want to say, because now that it's out there, I just want the record to be straight that it, it um, it was, uh, for us, it was, it was, um, we've had miscarriage, but this was actually like a, um, this was actually a, uh, a, um, a spontaneous, uh, birth that didn't wind up, you know, didn't end well. But in answer to your question, you know, I don't really know. I don't really know. I haven't well, let me, dealt with this before. Let, let, know, let me so. let me let me yeah. uh, let me put it this way: that uh -huh. you know, and, and your your wife's an artist, yeah. so she understands as well as anybody the impulse of dealing with things through art. But do you have to do you have to have the conversation with her, or you know, do you do you have the conversation with her of like, hey, um, this is something that I'm going to deal with musically? Well, I did this time. I did. I did because I was already writing about it. Yeah. You know, um, I didn't say, Hey, I'm going to try and write about this stuff. Um, I said, no, that would be terrible. No, no. I, I you know, I said, <laughs> forcing uh, yourself to, I, huh? you know, I have this song or whatever it was, you know, like I, I, yeah. I you know, notes in a note. I want to warn you that there's, this stuff yeah. is coming out, you know, and, and, uh, we should discuss that, you know? Yeah. I didn't, I certainly didn't start writing about any of it right away. It took a while for me to even start feeling and, you know, going through my own process yeah. with grieving and feeling feelings and stuff about it. Because um, uh, initially I was in like crisis 
management, management yeah. mode. And um, there was, um, I, you know, I think I was in shock also and, and had sure. some after effects of that. And and, uh, and then, you know, and then like back to work, you know, and not trying to sweep anything under the rug, no. but just whatever your brain does, you know, it, it compartmentalizes. Yeah. And it took a little while before uh, the that it started coming back, you know, into my head and I started doing the actual processing and, um, and, and then I didn't, I did start writing that songs then, but it, I, I, again, like I, I really, I don't do these things in, in a, in a mapped out way, you know, there is that weird, there, there's that feeling that you get when you deal with personal tragedy or, you know, something that like really impacts your life. Those first moments of realizing, Oh, like the world is, going to go on and I have mm-hmm. to continue to play my role in it. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. How strict of you, are you in terms of like setting aside time to write and create music? Do you need to do like office hours? No, I don't. Um I don't. Uh I I, I, I had been pretty strict about it for the last few years yeah. because I I really, you know, I'd had this body of work that I was really actively trying to wrangle into. Ironically, the uh, the seven years when you didn't put out a record is yeah. when you were being super strict about yeah. creating music. I know, music. I know. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, usually it just, um, I know, you know, vaguely when I need to get something going again. And um, it's not that I work on it um, without discipline, but I don't. I don't do that, like, novelist thing of, of I've tried to do the novelist thing sometimes of, you know, I get up and write. Yeah. Three hours a day, yeah. and you know, I, I don't. The guys really who work like wake way. up at three in the morning to right. start the writing. Yeah, I don't. I don't work that way. So now that you're doing, I mean, the, the tour hasn't officially started, but you're like Alan, and you're obviously doing press and mm-hmm. starting to play. I mean, is it all? Does it just kick right back in? <laughs> yeah, I mean, and it's been, you know, I've been really full time, like literally full time jobbing it. Yeah, quote unquote, running my record label, you know, for the right now, getting the record actually like made, sending out rewards and things. No, no, that not even yet because the physical product has yeah. to come in, but just just doing the work of getting yeah. it um, in process, you know, getting it working with the people who are getting it to the plant to get pressed and working, you know, uh, have. Some great people working on the art and do you actually like that the... part of things? I mean, you seem you seem like you seem like maybe a little bit of a micromanager. Uh, um, hmm. micromanager. I, let me put it this way. Okay, <laughs> uh, I'm a lot less stressed about it than I than I sort of feel like I should be. Yeah, you know. Um, so on some level, I think I do enjoy it. Um, yeah. Uh, but just as regards micromanaging. You know, I'm a, I'm a, it's like at the risk of overstating this, like I'm a DIY guy from birth, you know, like I've always, I've never, I know, but I've, this time you're like, <laughs> you're like, I'm the only band member right? I'm producing mean, it. You know, that was, that started out largely because of, you know, yeah. just geography and, yeah. you know, like, but then it be, then it became a thing where it really, it was a much more personal yeah. process. And then that was how I was going to finish it, you know, but you know, my life is just, it's largely been just a series of kludges. Like everything that I do is like hand duct taped together to make it to the next step, you know? And you know, I'm not high. I'm not like somebody has got to put the duct tape on. It's usually me, you know, but I was talking to somebody the other day about, I don't have a manager and you know, he was like, you know, you should think about getting a manager again. I was, I was like, I have thought about it and I may yet, but it's all got to come across my desk anyway. You know, like I'm there, there are people and I'm, this is not a judgment. This is not a value judgment. I wouldn't be, I'm just saying I wouldn't be comfortable doing it this way, but there are people who are very comfortable. Like just saying like, you're my manager. I'm a musician. I play music. 
I think the difference, yeah. though, is that there are people who can't who can't do that. I think, well, that, that and too. because I, you've been doing yeah. all these different I mean, pieces. I think there's a vast rainbow of, of yeah. ways that, you know, different There are a lot of musicians who probably shouldn't be their own that's, manager. That's for sure, yeah. I mean, I do. I also, you know, I also like, there are things that I'm not, there are things that I don't want to do. Therefore, I can't cede total authority to a manager because I have to sign off on, on you know, some things. And uh, yeah, so I was just like, uh, you know, it's all got to. It's all got to come yeah. across my desk. Why would I pay someone an extra 15% when I have to make the call anyway? Having in what sounds like, I mean, not not just the, like the seven years that it took, but, you know, the past year of getting everything just right, that, that you really have in every way spent more time on this record than probably any other one in the past. Now that it's finished and not quite out in the world, how, how, does, it, how does it compare in your mind? Are you... Does it feel like a better record? Are you more proud of this than uh, once in the past? I am more proud of, of every record that I've done at the moment that I've done that record than anything else. It's probably a good past. sign. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, you know, in retrospect, I, I certainly have my my yeah. my favorites sure. it, it, that I, of things that I've done in the past. And, it's so funny because half but, the people I talk to, they're mm-hmm. like, the minute it's out, like, I am done. I don't like, I, oh, yeah. I feel terrible about it. And the other half of the people, like, are just like... This is obviously the best representation of me right now. Well, that's the thing. Like, you know, I, I don't think that I've 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 ever put something out that in that moment I wasn't like, yes, like this was the thing that I wanted to do and we did it. There you go, those Ted Leo. It's always a pleasure speaking with Ted. Uh, he's somebody that I've been trying to get on the show pretty much since the beginning. I mean, I've interviewed him various times over the years for different publications, but in the you know, three or four years since we've been doing this program, he's, uh, as, as as he mentioned during the conversation, he's, he's obviously been living a lot of life, and it, and it manifests itself in really interesting ways on his new record, The Hanged Man, which is uh, out now. It's a self-released record. You can go to a site at tedleo.com to download that one. Uh, thanks so much to him for taking the time to do that. I really, really enjoyed that conversation. Thanks to Nils for setting it up. Thanks to you guys, as always, for listening to the program. If you like the show, you can support us by sending a couple bucks our way over on Patreon. Like us on Facebook. Rate us wherever it is you get your podcasts. Follow us on Tumblr. That's rylcast.tumblr.com. That is the first and best place to get all of your RIYL-related information. I think that's about all I got for this week, so stick around because we will be back just about this time next week with another episode of RIYL.